Today's reading is from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 27. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So um, just, uh, just information. Uh, Angie was reading from the NIV, and what you saw was the ESV. So it, same text, different translation. If you were a little confused, uh, just open your Bibles if you have it, regardless of what version you're using. Um, but stick with the ESV if you have it, and that's, those are the passages that we'll, you'll see on screen. Um, we are at the end of our series in Proverbs, and uh, it's been a joy for me personally. I hope it's been insightful for you as well. Uh, it was a while ago that we started with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, and if you can recall, it started out like this. The first verse of Proverbs, it said, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And recall that Solomon wrote most of Proverbs. Not all of it, but much of it. And if you know anything about Solomon and his background, you know that he had asked the Lord for wisdom, and God graciously granted it to him. So here is this man who is known to have the wisdom that was perhaps so famous that even queens, royalty from other places all around the, the ancient 
Near East had come to hear Solomon just simply speak. And yet, at the same time, you might make a case for saying that Solomon was one of the most foolish people who has ever walked the face of the earth. So here's the question. How does one who is so wise become so foolish? That just doesn't seem to match up with how we understand life and God's word especially. I think the answer to that question is actually found in chapter 4 of Proverbs. Here in chapter 4, the Proverbs writer is talking to his son. So it's a father dispensing wisdom to his son. Maybe it's Solomon in his old age. After all of his uh, foibles and sins and flaws that have been lived out to its fullest, and finally, as he's nearing the end of his life, pulls his son over, adult son, and says, come over here. Let me tell you what not to do, what road not to take that I took. Maybe that's him. But we do get much wisdom from chapter 4 that speaks of how do you keep wisdom throughout your whole life and not just get it for a moment or for a year or for even a decade. If we are to follow these words, he tells us that actually we will really keep ourselves from a lot of pain and sorrow and grief, not only in our own lives, but as well in our children's lives and their children's lives. And so how do we do it? The answer is that you and I, we have a treasure inside of us. That treasure is called your heart. It's not the physical beating heart, but it's what the Bible describes as the, the spiritual center of your life, the place where your will is and your motives and your desires, your passions, all of that coming together. Essentially, it describes your personhood, who you are fundamentally. And here the father says, make sure that you guard your heart because it is the spring of life. It is the wellspring of life. And so how do we guard our heart? According to chapter four, we guard it by first keeping wisdom second by keeping ways, and then third by keeping words. So first keeping wisdom, keeping ways, and keeping words. We'll look first at keeping wisdom. Again, remember the context. Solomon, who failed so miserably, even though he was so wise, yet lacked so much, tragically so. How does this happen to Solomon? If it happened to Solomon, it can happen to us. And so even for those of us who say, I am walking with the Lord. I love his word. I spend time with him. Know that if you are not going to heed his words here, you too, and I can, and anyone can turn away from him. If Solomon can do that, so too us. Listen to what the father says to his son in verses three and four. When I was a son... With my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. So this is how we keep wisdom. We hold fast my words. We keep commandments according to verse four. And then as well, verse six, do not forsake her, her being wisdom. It's a, it's a metaphor. And she will keep you. She will love you. And she will guard you. And then verse 13, very similarly, 
Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. So like Solomon, all of us, every one of us will face temptations to turn aside and say, you know, God, your word is decent, has a moral picture, but I don't want to fully live by it because it's too hard. It's going to be tempting to feel that way in our lives. And you're also going to hear so many other messages, other thoughts, other noise that's going to come, other opinions and expressions of ideas and formulations of how you must live life. And all of that is going to say, this is the better way. Follow this way. Pursue this route and you'll be happy. All of that veering us away from God's word. And wisdom says, do not forget. Hold fast. Keep guard. How do you keep this wisdom according to this passage? Step by step. Faithfulness. You know, the women, the book that they're studying is called Everyday Faithfulness. It's actually a really great concept. It's truly what it means to follow Christ is to be faithful. And faithfulness is a quite a challenging character. It's, it's one that we don't see expressed in our world as exalted or something to pursue. There's charisma, there's intelligence, there's innovation, but not faithfulness. Faithfulness just seems boring and dry and dull. But may I say to you that it is the key to life. The key to joy is faithfulness. And it's, as the book says, every day. Or may I go back even further, every moment faithfulness. Steadfastness in all things. It's what Solomon could not understand. And it's what cost him his wisdom. It's what led him down the road to foolishness. That is to say that every day of your life, there are choices that are abounding before you. And until you understand that every one of those little choices that you make every day of your life impacts your future, not just your future for your career or for whom you're going to marry, but really about your eternity is rooted on all the small choices of your life. I really appreciate a story that Pastor Tim Keller tells about an interview he read in the news. There was a man in jail and he... Um, was in jail because he told the story of how he went, uh, when he was a young boy, his uh, father had a, a gold watch that his father loved so much. And everyone in the family knew. And so this man who is now imprisoned when he was a young boy goes into his father's room and sneaks in, takes out his father's watch from the drawer. And he plays with it. And of course, he drops it. Not only does he drop it, it cracks. So he doesn't go run to his dad and say, Father, I must not tell a lie. I broke your watch. He does not do that. Instead, he does what I think perhaps some of us have done, would do. Quickly runs back, pushes it in. Father, of course, finds out one day and says, all right, brings all the kids together. Who did this to my watch? And he refuses to admit it, denies it completely. He, he just covers it up, and that's his instinct. That's actually not so uncommon of an instinct. Well, fast forward years later, this man is driving on a dark road, and he hits a little child, and he kills him. And he flees the scene, hit and run, 
because it's his instinct to, to leave and to move away from responsibility. When he got home, he realized what he had done, but he was afraid to turn himself in. They eventually found him. He was uh, given a, a prison sentence, actually for many, many years. So in this interview, he said, what fixed his destiny was not the decision he made on the road that fateful night, but it was all of those little decisions of covering up when he was little, to a teenager, to a young man, and all those points of every day where it was lie after lie after lie. His character was being shaped, and then it was being fixed. And so he did what he was what he became. Tim Keller says this, it's not the big events. It's the little daily choices you make that fix your character and your destiny. And that's exactly the point of chapter four, verses 11 through 19. Your life is about keeping wisdom in the moments of your life, in the day-to-day operations and decisions of your life. And just listen to these words. Verse 12, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not enter the path of the wicked. These day-to-day choices dramatically will impact your life. And it's why regular reading of scripture and prayer is so necessary for the Christian life. We don't tell you to read the Bible and pray because that's what good Christians do. You don't get merit badges for that or anything like that. It keeps you focused on what is right. And I know this firsthand. My instinct is to go with what I read in the news, what I hear from others, uh, what I feel, what my past experiences have told me is the best path to my hope, my joy. Um, But when I sit before God's word, it often veers me back. I was driving with my son, Jack, and uh, you know he's learning how to drive and everything like that. And, and so I was driving, and when I hold the steering wheel, I, I have to make little shifts. I think most of us do that here and there, right? And he said, well, why do you keep on turning the steering wheel while you're driving? And I said, well, let me show you. So I put the steering wheel straight, and the car slowly started t- shifting to the left, and I'm on the freeway, and I said, I, I hope you see, this car is not perfectly aligned. I have to make a course adjustment. And then when, if I don't, eventually over time, I will crash into another car, perhaps hurt this person and us. Very similarly, the Bible here is telling us in chapter four that if you want to keep wisdom, you have to recognize that our heart's inclination, as we just sang about, As the hymn writer says, our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Know that that's our default. That's not something that we do when we're at our worst. No, that's what we regularly do. We're prone to wander, we're prone to shift and lean and move away. And so listening to God in the moments of every day of your life All of those times are decisions. The moment that you are tempted to perhaps get angry over a child who has not listened to you, and you have a choice to make. Am I going to trust God and not determine 
my joy, my satisfaction in releasing this anger and, you know, sort of oppressing them? Or am I going to trust God and hold back, maintain a calm composure, and be able to speak truth, but still with calmness and peace? How do you make that choice? Every one of those things. And if you regularly fail to make that choice, rightly, wisely, well, of course, you can see the destructive nature that that has over time. So maybe not in the very beginning, but maybe 10 years from that point, you will be in a really rough place with that child who is now an adult. So the point of scripture is to say that what you do today, there are no such thing as, quote, small decisions. I can't tell you how many times I speak to a a couple who's having a problem in marriage. And they come and say, well, we actually don't have conflict. We, I only just get frustrated once in a while when he leaves his socks on the floor and I tell him to pick it up. That's it. That's, and if you, as I start probing, you begin to hear how actually that's really irking that person. And it's slowly leading to a hardness. You don't get to a place of separation, divorce, affairs, If you probe into that life and that relationship, there was something that was done and undealt with from the very outset, and it has been left that way, and slowly but surely, there's a slow separation, an alienation. And so when we read Proverbs 4, there's this constant reminder that we have to keep wisdom by guarding it, by making sure that we're willing to remember, oh yes, I'm inclined to turn away from God, and I'm inclined to go by my own way. Wisdom knows that it's in the small, regular instruction that we hold fast to, in his word, in others, in community. That's what protects your heart. That's what keeps you going to trust God. If you don't have that, slowly but surely, you will fade away from him. It, all it takes is just one drink. It's just marijuana. It's just a small, intimate conversation with another woman. Just one. It's just a movie with a naked scene in it. It's just a corrective word. It's not gossip. If you have to say it's just, that means you're in danger of becoming what Proverbs says is a fool. There's no such thing as it's just, according to Proverbs. Every one of your moment-day decisions are faithfulness decisions. And once you veer off and say, I'm too busy, too busy for ministry, too busy for hospitality, too busy for honoring God, serving him, there's never that point, never. And once we say, but it's, it's just this, we've lost a significant part of our hearts. We've given in. We have not kept wisdom. Secondly is that we keep our ways According to verses 14 and 19, so strongly the Proverbs writer warns us to make sure that we are not turning away from God. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. And then chapter 4, verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, they do not know over what they stumble. You know, in every major city, there's always this path that you are to avoid. If, for those of you who've traveled before in different places, 
and you were to ask someone, where should I go? And they say, oh yes, go here, but make sure you avoid this area or make sure you avoid this road. I'm part of a, my, my third daughter, is, she's at Berkeley. And um, for those of you, and I know many of you know that area, you went to, some of you went to Cal and there's People's Park. People's Park of a very old institution in, especially in the Bay Area. And currently right now they're trying to tear it down so that they can build about eight to 9,000 units of student housing along with some affordable housing for the homeless. And there's some rioting and all these things. Well, anyway, I happen to be on this chat uh, for parents of my daughter's dorm. Very interesting. I, that didn't happen to me for my first two kids, but for some reason, her class gets a chat, a WhatsApp. And so on it, it constantly like lists all these, of course, they're helicopter parents and they're listing. I mean, this is how ridiculous it is. One person said, can someone, one parent, go to my daughter's room and wake her up? She's late for class. That's what, that was, both Sue and I were laughing at that. Anyway, <laughs> on this list are someone actually, uh, they kept on posting all these assaults that were happening right on the road to People's Park. And when I go to my daughter's dorm, most students know, oh, don't go straight on that road, veer off and go down the other street, and then you can get to Telegraph. And so, you know, when I think of that, I think of this passage here. The point, the Proverbs writer saying, do not enter the path of the wicked. It's dangerous. It's actually deadly for your soul. And look how emphatically the father warns his son in, in verse 14. He uses two verbs, do not enter, do not walk. There's no middle ground. And then verse 15, four verbs, avoid, do not go, turn away, do not walk in the way of evil. Does anyone have any doubt at all about what the Proverbs writer is saying? I mean, he's really clear. You have to stay away. In other words, run away from any type of temptation to sin. Don't take a step. Don't take an inch. Do not look. Do not sip. Do not snort. Do not talk because it will destroy you. One more uh, just illustration from George because he sends me these updates and I just think, man, these fit so well with what I'm speaking about. Uh, George is in Goma uh, again, and he, he sent me this update about these roadblocks, these regular roadblocks, military roadblocks that he would have to pass through to get to the next town. And it's always guarded by this one guard or a couple of guards, and they come to him and say, if you want to pass, you need to pay this much money. Now, this money is not a tax. It's pocketed by them. So basically, they want a bribe. And the thing that both George and Hans, you know, one of our partners, Hans at work in Africa, that uh, they have a strong principle that they do not pay bribes, even if there's great cost. And so sometimes it would, they say, give me $20 and I will let you pass. And if you don't, you have to stay here 10 hours and fight with me. And I'm not going to even deal with you. And they will wait those 10 hours. And you might say, well, that's so inefficient. Isn't it just a tax? But for him, there's no just A. You understand what I'm saying? It's you actually realize that there's a there's an implication 
to making this payment of $20. Because for these men, somewhere along the way, when they first started their job in law enforcement or in the military, they asked for a bribe. And then once they took it, they couldn't help but need it constantly. It, it truly became a drug. And this is what he would do. George would say, to combat that, he would tell them, listen, this money, if I give it to you, it's money that is going to be used, and it literally is money being used to feed children who have nothing to eat. They will die without this. And that's not an exaggeration. He literally means it. And he said, the vast majority of these guards, they don't care. They still want the money. A very few will say, go on by. But most will say, give me the money. How does that happen? If you knew that for you, $20 might mean something, but it's not everything. And you knew that this money is going to be spent for a little child that is dying for food. How do you get to a place where you don't care at all because of decisions made throughout that man's life from even perhaps when he was young, where it was not a step of faith, where it was not trusting in the Lord, where it was deciding to make himself ultimate and Lord and glorious. The thing about George is he doesn't leave it at that. Then he, so this is a, a WhatsApp me voice message he sent to me. And then right after that, he says, well, you know what though? It's not just the guard in Africa who does this. He says, it's all of you too. <laughs> you know, it's just one click on the computer screen and then pornography. It's just one click. It's just one refusal to turn away. You know, when you watch a movie or a TV show and that show happens to have nudity in it, do you think, oh, it's okay, My, I can take it? Or do you realize that that one decision leads to the next? How does someone get addicted to pornography? Because of a pattern that was set of, it's only once. It's never only once. How does someone get drunk all the time? It's only one drink. Oh, it's just, I'm just buzzed. I'm not really drunk. If you are buzzed regularly, you are drunk regularly. And if you can't stop yourself, then you've gone down a road and it is impacting your family, whether you realize it or not. Oh, it's just one bet at the casino. It's just one, it's always just one, it's, it's just one Sunday missed. Does it really matter? I know many of you who are parenting, you're in this place where you have children youngest of ages to the oldest of ages. And, you know, I've, I'm not fully there yet, but I've one out of our house, graduated from college, two in, one in high school. And so generally, I'm in the place of where most of you are. And I will say this is that when you are living your life, if you're a Christian, get ready for points, some key points in your life where God is going to put you to a test. Do you love me more or do you love your children more? Do you love me more or do you love your success more? If God would do that to Abraham, wouldn't he do it to you too and me? You think he doesn't do that to us, but he does. And so Abraham 
was called to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Do you know who Isaac was? He was the one that God said, I'm going to make Abraham your son, Isaac. Like descendants, skies, uh, stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, that will be the sons of Isaac. And then God says, but actually I want you to go sacrifice him. And it, if Abraham, who loved his son deeply, but he brought his son up the mountain, Mount Moriah, and he had to carry him up there and not carry him, but walk with him. And when he said, where's the sacrifice? Well, God's going to provide the sacrifice. And he always does. But of course, we know the ultimate sacrifice is not Isaac, but God would provide the sacrifice, his son. We all have Isaac. Your son, your daughter is Isaac. Their success, their comfort, their security. And I guarantee you, in every stage of their life, there's going to be one point where God says, are you ready to give up your child to me? That means maybe they're not. Maybe instead of going to play comp soccer, you're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Because they're going to miss Sunday every day. And when they do, and they get the college scholarship that you've been pushing them towards, and they end up going to Stanford, they're going to be really successful and wealthy. But when you talk about Jesus, they're going to say, I saw you, mom and dad. You obviously don't care about him that much. So I'm not going to follow that route either. I don't want it. If you don't get ready for those points where your child is going to make that pivotal point, and there's going to come a time, it always happens, and I can tell you, if we had longer time and there was like Q&A, I can literally list off for you where each one of our children, we had to make a choice. Do we trust God or do we not? Sometimes we really did and sometimes we failed. And I wish I could say, oh, follow my path. It's the best one, but it isn't. Every one of you has your own choice, your own Mount Moriah that God is going to bring you to climb. And when you climb that, get ready because the day-to-day, moment-by-moment, those times matter so much to prepare you for that moment, that time. There, so this is not just for parents. We all have these moments. That's the point of keeping and keeping ways is that you have to stay fixed on the path. The father tells his son in chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. God knows our hearts. They are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so we swerve back and forth. Now here's the question for me that I would ask, and I think some of you might be thinking this way, is, all right, if I fix my path towards him and give up everything else, does that mean my life is going to be miserable? My children, my family, are they going to just be miserable in their life? Look at verse 18, chapter 4. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. If you've ever been outside at dawn waiting for the sunrise, maybe you've gone to Hawaii or you, you've, there are parts of the Bay Area where the sunrise is beautiful. 
But if you say, I want to take a picture of the sunrise. So you have to set up your camera and your tripod and everything. You get there. But in order to take a picture of the sunrise, the, the break of the sun over dawn, guess when you have to come? When it's dark. You know, they always say right before the dawn, that's when it is most dark in the sky. And so the Christian, yes, we face sometimes real darkness. I know some of you have. There are, there are men and women and children in this room that have really faced true darkness. But the promise of verse 18 is, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter. And so it's a promise. Trust him and you will experience the lightness of your heart, the light and the light heart. Your conscience will be free. The freedom of conscience is a power that the world cannot understand. For the non-Christian, obeying Christ always seems tiresome. But for the Christian, according to John 5, 3, Jesus says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Just going to um, back to parenting, you know, I know that there are many times where we've had conversations with our children to say, I know studying right now seems so hard and dreary and boring. It does. But if your goal is you want to have the joy and freedom to do what you want, then Sometimes it takes real challenge, faithfulness, difficulty now. That's, I mean, I think most of us understand that lesson. It, it's hard to get it, truly get it, but we, we understand the idea of it. And so then you see your children thrive in perhaps in marriage and careers and all sorts of different directions, but it took the willingness to submit to that faithfulness early on. And the Lord is telling us, if you follow me and trust my word, if you trust that following and putting Christ above all else, while in the moment you might face pressures from the world, it might cause you to lose your job if you follow Jesus, but following him will lead to the light of dawn and it will fill your life. We have to recognize that wisdom does not come about by just simply hoping it comes. It's by fully trusting. Lastly, we keep words. Verses 20 and 24 describe this for us. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Jesus essentially says the same thing in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If we truly believe and keep and guard these words, they will overflow. It will be a wellspring of your heart. Your mouth is but, as Jesus says, uh, it's the outflow of what your heart is experiencing. And your heart, it impacts your behavior, your worldview, your faith, your compassion, everything about you. 
You, when you are a new creation, it's because your heart is anew. God has recreated your heart. And the way that you hear and receive God's words, it's not a burden to you. It's a joy to you. It's something you want to follow. And when, so when Jesus says, you must forgive others as you have been forgiven, you trust that forgiveness is required of you. And it's not so that you'll be miserable, but it's for your joy. And so you decide to forgive, even though in the moment, all you feel is pain and anger. It's so important that we understand this because as you do and trust, your heart is lightened. But the person who refuses to forgive another person and they're going around with grudges, that person just compiles grudges and anger and bitterness in their soul. And they are nothing but burdened. Jesus' words are not burdening. They are freeing you from burden. But you have to trust that the pain of forgiving the person who has hurt you and trusting God's word through it and deciding to do it is ultimately going to give you much greater joy than this stark refusal to give up your anger. And so there are times where all of us to one another, we should say, why don't you consider forgiving that person? Because Christ has forgiven you. And if their answer is, no, I refuse to, then they are truly choosing a path of darkness. And that is a dangerous place to be because that lack of forgiveness is going to play out in every aspect of their lives. Now, all of this and Proverbs and wisdom, if you have been following with me, even for these past few weeks, Try to live up to Proverbs 31. Try to live up to Proverbs 12. Try to live up to the wisdom of Proverbs and you will find, I don't think I could do that. I mean, everything we've talked about for this summer, it's been, this is the path you should take. Why do we not so regularly take it? Why do we completely push it aside and say, I'm still going my own way? And you might not even want to do that, but we still do it because our hearts are prone to wander. They are. And no amount of willpower or intellect or just gritting your teeth and saying, I'm gonna do it, it's not about grit. It isn't. It requires much more. We cannot keep our heart with all vigilance. It is the wellspring of life, but we can't keep it with all vigilance. It's not possible. But Paul tells us that it is possible another way not by our own strength, but by someone else's. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 25 shows us where wisdom comes from. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Today, for a while now, to be a Christian is to be foolish, more so than ever. And to say to others, I believe in Christ, I believe Christ crucified, is to put yourself to ridicule. To say that God has a design for human being and human flourishing 
that there is a man and a woman is to put yourself through ridicule. Following his word. And so what Paul experienced here and what the Corinthian church experienced in 1 Corinthians 1 is something that we're seeing full circle again. And it's going to happen cyclically until Jesus returns, is that there will come a day where it seems like, wow, so many people are getting the gospel, and then suddenly people despise you for the message of the gospel. But know that you are in good company. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly, foolishness, idiocy, moronic uh, truth to the Gentile. But Paul adds in chapter uh, 1, verse 30 of 1 Corinthians, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Because of Jesus, we're in Christ Jesus. We are in him. And it's because we're in him, we have wisdom. Wisdom is possible not because of our brains. It's possible because Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus' perfect wisdom led him to the cross for me and for you. And because he is our wisdom, he's our righteousness. He's what makes us good and right and whole. And out of that flows the freedom to be able to live the life that God wants us to fully. And so if you try on your own to be wise, we'll never make it, not perfectly. I think you live long enough and you see that fully. But also you recognize that, no, you've been bought with a price. That price, that cost, that cross is what actually gives you the wisdom to press forward and to make wise choices. And even when you fail, you know, he still is what completes you and makes you wise. Let's pray together. Father, it is true our hearts are prone to wander. Um, we just turn to you and we ask that you be exalted and praised as we come to this table. There is so many inclinations in our own souls to want applause from this world, from others. We're trying to prove ourselves that we are special. We are somebody, our children, our families, due to our effort, our ingenuity, our strength and power. But Jesus, it took you, perfect God, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and yet you went to the cross so that we might be wise, so that we might make wise choices, so that we might know the absolute goodness and flourishing of wisdom. As we come to this table, help us to never forget the price that was paid for that righteousness, for that wisdom. And we thank you, Father, that you do love us in this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.